You won't read about my mom in the history books, but she's going to change history forever. You'll never learn about her in school, but she'll redefine everything we know. She's not a scientist or a doctor, but she's going to help save a lot of lives. My mom works at Mediacom, and they're going to bring us one of the world's first 10G broadband platforms. Mom says, dream big. For years, you've been going to the same cafe, getting the same cup of coffee from the same waitress that's been there since the Reagan administration. Time to up the ante on your cafe experience with Vegas Gaming Cafe and Jam. Vegas is the perfect low-key, safe environment. Try your luck with their old-school gaming machines and new slots from Jam too. Grab a drink at Vegas Gaming Cafe and try your luck. With six locations around the QCA, you're never too far away from your next big win. For the nearest slot near you, check out VegasGamingCafeIL.com. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Chance Garden. First, a couple of announcements. Check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man, C60 Purple Power. The benefits have been absolutely incredible. Enhanced energy levels, well-being. It's helped with inflammation. And did I mention it may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man? Check out their website. Use that link in the description. And if you order from that link, you get 10% off plus free shipping. You can now get Forbidden Knowledge News five days a week on Rumble and our website. Our website is ForbiddenKnowledge.News. It's also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. That's where we feature some of your favorite podcasts, Raised by Giants, Understanding Propaganda, Day Zero, and many more. And you can always get every new episode of Forbidden Knowledge News on Rockfin, Rumble, Odyssey, and all podcast platforms. Be sure to sign up on Rockfin because this is where you get our premium content. You also get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin. Just go to rockfin.com slash fknplus or click that link right in the description. Today on a welcome Chance Garten. He is host of Interverse Podcast, a show dedicated to empowering your perspective to help you stay in the flow of perpetual synchronicity. He is an adept in a variety of areas, but most significantly interested in the technology of language. He is also an aura technician in the biofield tuning style. Chance, welcome. How you doing? Hey, dude. Good to be here excited that we're also live that's fun and there's so many things we could talk about if there's one thing that's a forbidden knowledge it is the technology of language it's something we use all the time it's manipulating people all the time you know like i've been really interested uh the last couple days one of the things i do a lot of is the roots of language and symbolism that allow us to demonstrate how everything is connected 
and that the ancient mystery traditions, the various religious and mythological uh, systems out there have common roots and have so way more in common and way more in sync than they are different. And so there's this particular character. So uh, to back up even more, like we've been doing, uh, we revived our series over on my channel called The Marvelous Demystifiers, where we dig into uh, comic book movies and (laughs) demonstrate the deep, deep levels of mind control programming and occult symbolism in those films far and beyond what you'd think is even possible (laughs) out of these Hollywood studios. But the character Loki was something we were analyzing in a recent one of these streams. And I discovered, you know, I already knew that he had a lot of Hermes and Mercury type attributes, but I had recently come across a, a, uh, the Celtic Hercules as he's referred to in the writings of Lucian and also some other ancient Greek authors. And they call this uh, Celtic Hercules Ogmios. And what's different about Ogmios from the traditional strongman Hercules is that Ogmios has this force about him of eloquence. And rather than overcoming his opponents with brute strength, he's actually able to, you know, symbolically put golden chains from his mouth to the ears of his followers. And the force of eloquence and the power of words, very, very, very important stuff to be able to get a handle on and, you know, forbidden knowledge. It definitely is because the academic mainstream wants to tell us that things developed independently and separately. And that (laughs) most of our ancestors, depending on what part of the world you're talking about, were like brutish savages when in truth and in reality, we see the architectural diffusion and other aspects of uh, cultural links that show amazing capabilities of the ancestors far and beyond what we actually even know how to do today. So that's a little bit of why I like to get into these topics. And then of course the language of the body, how our body is speaking to us is a, they don't, the days out there definitely don't want you to be able to get a handle on that because then you won't need their, their pharmaceuticals and their surgeries and all that stuff. Yeah, man, 100%. You gave a great introduction to some of the things we're going to get into today. And your work and podcast, it covers very important areas of our spiritual journey, like you were just saying, our body's way of communicating with us, as well as linguistics, and how important language and the way we communicate with each other and even ourselves. And you are an aura technician, which we're going to find out a little bit more about as well. Before we get into any of this stuff, first, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and what led you down this particular path. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, To kind of put it in a nutshell, raised in the pretty traditional white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Midwestern white kid type of lifestyle. I found myself drifting and listing in life, not knowing a a purpose or not knowing what would be fulfilling to me, finishing up college, just going through the motions and uh, eventually found my way into some creative communities and music festivals and got really inspired by art and found that creativity was something that could really fill the hole that I felt within myself. And so I got into the habit of just making things and seeing what stuck. And eventually that led me into podcasting where I sought to discover what it is that is that secret special sauce that some of us seem to have that allows us to follow our soul's purpose and passion and do that fearlessly and even find a livelihood in it. (laughs) So I interviewed many, many people trying to get that secret and no one could really give it to me, but eventually I sort of got there on my own. And in the process, I also unlocked a lot of kind of innate abilities with energy, energetic sensitivity, 
and trained that in myself through discovering Qigong and kind of experimenting with Reiki, experimenting with crystals. And eventually I found out about biofield tuning, which we can talk more about. And that's been a huge level up for me as it pulled together the threads of energy work that I was always fascinated in, but gave me a, like a mechanical way to do it, like a consistent, uh, physically potent uh, method where we can dig into the intelligence of the body, find out what it's trying to tell us and thus not need to have disease, pain, uh, chronic illness, or any of those things anymore, because we can resolve the underlying limiting beliefs and uh, assumptions about life or expectations about life that really hold back that pranic power. Because when it comes down to it, one of the greatest mysteries of all is like, why does the body grow from one cell into a full adult? What is it that allows a cut or a scratch to put itself back together and mend? No, no doctor is ever going to really be able to tell you that. And it has to do with this prana or life force energy, which is really the, uh, the ultimate beyond all dimension, beyond all space and time, the ordering principle of the cosmos and getting in tune with that, becoming an instrument to communicate with it and thus express this ordering principle is one of the most powerful things we can learn in this physical form. And it allows us to also bring that order, that coherence, that harmony to the people around us by the fact that, you know, everything in our world is sort of an orbit or an extension from our inner self. And each of us are the center or the, the totem pole of an entire universe, right? Right. Right on, man. Now, with with everything that has happened, all the degradation of our consciousness abilities, our creativity, and the the continued attack on some of these important aspects of who and what we are as humans, as it goes on, we continue to become something different than, than our ancient ancestors used to be, and these creative abilities continue to regrow to degrade. And before anyone can really begin to fix any of that stuff, they have to understand some of these more disheartening facts about what has happened to humanity over over time, over many, many years, how our consciousness has been degraded and why. What's the best way that you can explain to people? Because this is a multi-layered type of agenda that has been unfolding for for many many years to degrade what we are as humans what's the best way that you use to to describe what's happening to people yeah i really like uh what you said there in terms of how to learn or to get yourself into spiritual development there is a necessary component of exploring conspiracy yeah right <laughs> one path leads to the other if authentically followed and some people will hit that wall and be like, I don't want to look into conspiracy. I want to just stay in a foofy, airy, fairy, new age bubble. And then the other way around can occur as well. I don't want to leave my comfortable bubble of the thems are responsible for everything wrong in my life. And I have no ability to change that. So I can just jettison all <laughs> hopes of expansion and stay in this little mean uh, finger pointing lifestyle. <laughs> so we need to merge both of these things. I, I mean, there is a true element of days out there that prey on uh, people who have weaknesses. But I think in a fractal understanding of nature and of ourselves, if we truly understand that what limits us in our life is beliefs that are holding back 
some percentage of our life force energy from being able to flow and be in use. And that those beliefs usually are accompanied by or instigated through trauma, then the same could be said for the human race at large, that what has gone on to diminish the general capacity to know that we innately carry through this divine spark has to do with some sort of mass ancestral trauma. And even in the terms of like the days out there, psychic vampires, uh, manipulators, controllers, when you look at the motivations behind that, I believe it has to do with this feeling of being cut off from the inner light that leads to try to cannibalize that light from external sources. And I think all humanity can be healed. I think we can all lift up out of that. And as true as it is that there are manipulators, scumbags, evildoers in the realm, the beauty of it is once you get that self-empowerment back, once you get whole and connected internally, none of that stuff really has the ability to wipe you out like it could before. But sometimes that requires, especially us in the conspiracy research realm, to let go of the victimization and realize, wow, a lot of what we see in media, especially from like the left side with this victim status being a type of currency that we have to look in ourselves and be like, why are we so sensitive to seeing how that plays out in the, ma the mass? And how can we cut that out of our own behavior and of our own belief system so that we're victors and not victims. So that's really where I want to come from. Not to blame anybody external, but not to disregard you know, the challenges that go on with a society that's gotten so bent out of shape as it has expressed itself out of the fractal seed of the individual and into a collective confusion and madness. So something like that. Does that, does that answer the yeah, question? Man, yeah, right on. That, uh, that was good. Now, you mentioned the, the the powers of belief or lack of belief, and I've talked to to many different researchers, magicians, energy workers that seem to have a consensus that belief plays a huge role in whether or not we can even perceive some of these things, whether or not we will actually tap in to some of these abilities and realms that surround us at all time, if we have it shut off, if we have our beliefs completely shut off to them, we may never have this altered perception or widened perception of what's out there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Belief is definitely uh, a limiter, potentially. And in fact, I see this a lot. There's resistance and hesitancy to let go of <laughs> one of my friends actually told me today. I was like, we should do a tuning, man. I was even going to offer a pro bono. And this is not a dig at him or anything, but he's like, I've got a good working relationship with my shadow. I don't know if I want to mess up uh, uh, <laughs> what we got going on here and integrate some of those demons. And we can even talk about how like demons may be more of an expression of a fractured psyche than some kind of external uh, infernal spirit there to harm. But yeah, the, you know, maybe we can even talk about like the method of biofield tuning the language of the body in that sense and how beliefs come into play a role with that. If yeah, that that's exactly good. what I wanted to get into. Let's probably start with the the language of the body. I know that it's communicating with us more than whether we have a sickness or illness or something is off with us. There's a lot more to it, right? There's a lot more to it. Yeah. You can even like a, a really helpful belief shift to take on right away that immediately moves us out of the model that is proffered by the medical mafia would be 
rather than look at the body like sort of a car that has parts that go wrong and then you go see the mechanic and they swap it out or they do some tinkering and then you're good to go. The body, in my opinion, <laughs> maybe even you could call it a professional opinion. The body never does anything actually wrong. All that the body does is either to in some way maintain homeostasis or to communicate with us where there is an energetic, psychic, emotional issue. Uh, and it expresses through the body in that way. So the body is a mirror and it's our greatest teacher. And as a vessel that holds the life force energy that is the self-existing universal ordering principle of all cosmos before space and time, then actually our body has the capacity of knowing, like all knowing. And there's there's ways to, and it's maybe unique to each individual how they might develop the communication style and system with their body, but there are ways to tap into that. And it gets pretty profound and pretty powerful. So in terms of though the language that the body speaks, a really good working model to begin with is actually that notion of the seven chakras. And then expanding on that, you can get the, this idea of the biofield anatomy. And I learned this particular system from a great teacher named Eileen Day McCusick. She's written a couple books on her practice. One of them that might be of interest to people who like what I'm, what I'm talking about here is called Tuning the Human Biofield. And as a massage therapist, she incorporate like a long time ago, she incorporated tuning forks into her practice and eventually found that people started coming to her just wanting her to use tuning forks and not even do physical massage. And in exploring this method, she discovered that in our bubble space, the approximately six feet of area off the body in all directions, what you would call the aura or a toroidal field, yeah. a type of electric bioplasma, that there are pockets of stuck or compartmentalized pranic energy that by their separation are A, constituting a cutoff of some of your own actual life force that is not in circulation and flow with the rest of your system. And B, they get there through beliefs that are limiting or expectations about life that lead you to think that you don't have the ability to do whatever it is that that energy might be uh, related to. They get there through trauma as well. <laughs> and that in the sense of it being an anatomy, where that stuck energy is at in the field, in the space off of the body can tell you when the limiting belief was put into place or where the trauma happened in their timeline. And it can tell you what, in a kind of general sense, what it is that was there which is completely mind-blowing to the, uh, a sort of materialistic nuts and bolts breakdown of how people might understand the body. So let me give a, a little quick example of what this yeah. is like. Um, first of all, this bubble space around us, uh, six feet apart, everyone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not an accidental number that they threw mm. out there during the cooties scam, but the okay, so every part of the body physically would this uh, be has, the same thing as as what Rupert Sheldrake cor calls like the morphic field? I think that there's probably some correlation there. Yeah, I'm a little mm -hmm. rusty on Rupert's definition of all that, but I do know that I like his work and that he's on to something similar, right. um, quite likely. But so every part of the body actually has a, a particular generalization that stuck energy will represent there. And so as an example, a client that I worked with just last week, he'd been having pain in his right knee in a continual way. And through the biofield anatomy that I learned from Eileen, I happened to know that 
stuck energy in the right knee pertains to feeling blocked by obstacles or challenges in your life that are keeping you from being able to go where you want to go. So, and in fact, the legs in general, and it makes sense. A lot of it is kind of like very literal in terms of the yeah. metaphor of how the energy works. So in terms of the legs, it, it always has to do with our ability to, to move in life or the path that we're on. Kind of the left side has more to do with the past and the right side has more to do with the future. And there's a feminine masculine aspect, like a yin and a yang to it. But to wrap up this point, uh, found that this guy, like, so as soon as I put the forks in the, the level of his knee and started sweeping from the outside towards the inside, uh, first thing we found was, well, I immediately, so another part of this that is a little more woo is that there's a level of like instant knowing that an experienced practitioner will just get like a info beamed into your head because we have a generalization here. The knee has to do with challenges and obstacles and feeling blocked by them. But, you know, everybody's version of challenges and obstacles might be a little different from person to person. Right. But I got an, like a ding. It has to do with education, which is kind of rather specific. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the, the one pocket of stuck energy I found there that was like the oldest had to do with when like I was like, OK, where did you feel blocked or stuck due to education at around the age of eight? And then he had told me that he moved to the United States at that age and he had been uh, from Mexico. And so he was in a new school uh, speaking a second language and trying to get adept at that and learn that. So very challenging, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, man. And then uh, we found where. You won't read about my mom in the history books, but she's going to change history forever. You'll never learn about her in school, but she'll redefine everything we know. She's not a scientist or a doctor, but she's going to help save a lot of lives. My mom works at Mediacom, and they're going to bring us one of the world's first 10G broadband platforms. Mom says, dream big. For years, you've been going to the same cafe, getting the same cup of coffee from the same waitress that's been there since the Reagan administration. Time to up the ante on your cafe experience with Vegas Gaming Cafe and Jam. Vegas is the perfect low-key, safe environment to try your luck with their old-school gaming machines and new slots from Jam too. Grab a drink at Vegas Gaming Cafe and try your luck. With six locations around the QCA, you're never too far away from your next big win. For the nearest slot near you, check out VegasGamingCafeIL.com. In the uh, ancestral river, which is kind of a particular zone of the biofield that is where stuck energy might actually have a downstream effect going back to previous generations as well, that there was a hit there and that uh, his grandfather, who had never graduated high school, had experienced a lot of blockage and trauma over his lack of education, not allowing him to get the type of jobs that would make him feel more fulfilled or valuable. That's and then, so interesting. And then very specific, the last part was that... Uh, Currently in this guy's life where he was present day, he was being passed up for promotions at his job that he really wanted because he didn't have a master's degree. He just had a bachelor's and he felt like it would be too much uh, debt to go into or too much time to invest to go back to school for that, but that he had the skills to do the job without the degree. And so, you know, there's other elements to what we worked with for this individual, but a big part of what holds us back in life is that we go into situations with this posture energetically of like, I can't do that, or yeah. they're not going to listen to me, or they, they don't hear what I'm saying, or, you know, I don't have the, uh, I can't get past this obstacle. And they might not even know that they're 
internally holding on to that little belief, but I hope to hear back from this guy, not only that his knee pain is resolved from uh, dealing with this stuck energy and that also he maybe gets looked at differently from his coworkers or his superiors that he is able to do the job without the education that he has the energetic posture of being able to overcome obstacles like that. And so, you know, to finish the, the quick and dirty summary of how tuning works for the biofield anatomy is you put the tuning fork in the field around their body, you sweep towards the body, you find where they're stuck energy, and then almost like a clicking and dragging, you hook the vibrating fork into where the stuck energy is. And you bring it back to the physical body and deposit what was previously stuck and compartmentalized psychic chi back to the physical body. So that instead of being, you know, off, <laughs> keeping it off to the side and unavailable for use, it's there in your core, it's there in your center, and it's part of your overall flow. Now, I got a couple of questions. This tuning fork, is it the frequency that emits from the fork that attracts or catches on to the energy, the stuck energy in the body? Very difficult question to answer. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest that I, what's so amazing about the method is, first of all, we know that uh, frequency, coherent sound has a therapeutic effect for the body. That is a fact. But on another level, the sensitivity to my body interfacing with the energy field of their body has allowed me to, if I wanted to, I could actually do the process without a fork, but I can kind of still detect the energy pretty, not even kind of like I totally can. <laughs> so, um, on one level, the fork has this ability through the vibration that it's like breaking up the gunk of that oh. stuck energy gotcha. with the vibration, causing it to sort of loosen up. And then as a practitioner gets more and more sensitive what is even more beneficial than that aspect of sound is that awareness is what allows a person to uh, change the belief around what it is that they didn't know they were unaware of before. And in fact, like I said, going back to the body never really does anything wrong. The body thought it was holding that energy over there because it was supposed to. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is what you believe, right? This is what you want us to do. This is where you want this chi. Yeah. Mm. And so in a sense, Although I prefer to work with the forks and have those tools because they have other benefits. In a sense, you could do the whole thing if you had the sensitivity and you had the, the map of the body energy field with like your hands and your voice. Because a lot of times when I find that the stuck thing and I talk to them about it and we reset the belief or the expectation involved there, I don't need to put the fork back in there. I do and I check, but it's already moved. I don't need to like sweep it, so to speak. Yeah. That's so interesting. So you can what you were what you're working with is considered the spiritual or energetic or astral body and what could be the source of a lot of ailments that we see in our physical body often starts or manifests in this energy body? I think always. I think there is nothing that just goes wrong accidentally. I think it's always related to this uh, energy body first or emotional, you know, it's your psyche. Like and why I think that is, is because in my opinion, we're dealing with the spirit or the animating force that creates all the matter in the first place, creates all the bodies, creates everything in the realm. Like, and that's why this actually works remotely. And I do 99% of sessions remotely 
which is another kind of wild layer to it. <laughs> Cause like, here I am, I'm some dude waving around tuning forks in my living room states or countries away, but then I'm able to just kind of specifically pinpoint challenges that they're having without them telling me up front. So yeah. If I wouldn't have I, experienced anything like that myself, I would think it was pretty nutty as well. But I've experienced the remote tuning fork biohealing before from one of my friends that does it as well. And oh, the benefits, sweet, yeah, man, I I've, I can speak for the benefits personally myself. It's ab- absolutely incredible. And it's something that I didn't necessarily really have this profound experience at the time, but did notice extreme differences after, especially in some areas that I was lacking in sleep and energy and things like that, it it really had a huge effect on me. So yes, I can speak to the remote, uh, the remote aspect of it. It really does work. I'm really happy to hear that. I prefer, you know, it's always better when um, I'm talking to a host that has some experience with it. And, you know, another cool benefit of the remote as you had the experience of is that now, you know, you maybe being interested in this stuff and in the woo, you have an intellectual, uh, you know, some intellectual awareness of the possibility of this stuff. But then after a session, like you're talking about now you've had the experience and thus the knowing that mm. everything is connected, that distance and separation are literally mental concepts more primarily than they are actual reality. <laughs> so it's super empowering to know that it, it brings a little bit of heightened responsibility to the way that you manage your own personal energy, because actually that life force that's animating your vessel is not separate from or any less or more than the totality of all life force energy and creation in a fractal sense, like, you know, you're the ocean in a drop type of deal. Right. But that's also super empowering. It means that, Oh, this body is my interface for reality and as like giving me the ability to surf the waves of vibration and frequency into exactly the reality that I want to imagine for myself rather than feeling like the world is happening to me life is happening to me I'm happening to life and that's what I want people to really take away from this even if they don't explore this particular modality to know that it's not that the outer world is directing your inner world that's the victim consciousness Mm. it's subtle And we've been trained in that, (laughs) but it's your inner world directing the outer world always. 100%. Yeah, I've experienced this in my own life. Whenever I have a negative outlook, whenever I am constantly worried about something, whenever I am focused on the negative in my life instead of positive things, those negative things tend to manifest and I tend to get stuck in that energy. But when I, when I'm, focus on completely the opposite and when I'm being creative and going after things I want instead of questioning everything before I do it, it tends to work out so much better and the synchronicities start to flow and it's like you're actually in a way manifesting some of the things you want in reality as long as you're paying attention to those synchronicities and it seems like you also have to have a level of positive energy reinforcing that stuff. Yeah, dude. You know, this is my own personal philosophy, but (laughs) granted how much of the worldview from scientific materialism is predicated on a bunch of abstract math and algebra, (laughs) when you really like start to question the the, uh, correlation in nature to some of that algebra, you realize, oh, this is simulation. 
This is not mm. a language overlay. This is not actually what is going on in nature. There's no such thing as negative five of anything in nature. <laughs> nature only deals in the positive, right? Mm. There's only what exists. There's no, there's no such thing as non-existence. And so there's no negatives in nature. And that, that gets a little tricky because we use that word synonymously to also refer to like polarity, like in a battery. And that's not exactly the same thing as what I'm referring to, but in terms of manifestation uh, in how things that you fear or you worry about show up in your life more readily, <laughs> I think that there could be this just, I'm offering this as a possibility. It could be that uh, in terms of how your energy influences the, uh, the rest of the fractal that, that your body and energy and nature does not deal in negatives. So if you're like, I don't want this, I don't want this. All the, all the nature here is, is like, this, <laughs> this yeah. is what you want. <laughs> you know, there's another yes. element to it. You could look yeah. at it like, you know, if you would rather go through the lens of God, it's like God throws a little test at you, like, oh, so you are afraid that if X happens, then you won't be okay. Well, let me show you. X is gonna happen and you're gonna be okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, trust me, baby, it's gonna be all right. Yeah, and it's all about your perception. You know, something could be in your mind the most negative thing in the world, but it for someone else it could be the most wonderful thing in the world it just depends on how you're looking at it i want to go back to bio, biofield tuning for a second maybe get some examples of what you are working with people to to heal what kind of things people are going to you to to try and to make better in their lives and that are you you're utilizing biofield tuning to do Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what it isn't good for, to be honest. But usually when it comes to examples like that, it's like whatever most recent clients I've worked with, they're kind of freshest in my mind, you know. So I had a recent client who was dealing with um, who had had some lumps form in the breast. And, you know, that that can be scary. But if we as she is, you know, if we're not so so scared that we're going to go run into the priest in the white lab coat and ask them to cut it out of us or shoot radiation at us, then we got to approach it from the psycho-spiritual level to decide how we're going to resolve it in the somatic physical body level. And so with this individual, and actually as is common with, you know, there's, a, there's so many layers to this, but I'm starting to discover an even larger framework of how specific maladies have even more specific information pertaining to that malady. And so with like form breast cancer or tumors in the breast, it has often to do with a woman who has felt like afraid to bring shame to the family and having a highly critical or uh some a, a father figure in their life that withholds praise or withholds approval or has this aloofness to them. And, you know, that ended up being bang on whenever we got in there and started doing the work that this person, you know, she had had this kind of aloof father figure and it was a generational thing where the next generation back up the ladder, the grandma had had a, a father or the mother who the mother had had a father that was like hypercritical, not just aloof, but like nothing was good enough. And he's going to tell you about it. Right. And to be fair, I want to also caveat that like in this process, there are no bad guys. We're not like trying to go say, oh, everything is your dad's fault or everything is your mom's fault. <laughs> Although, you know, the parents have usually the biggest bearing on how much we feel empowered or some of these patterns in life because those 
that time in the womb in those first seven years where we're just an energetic sponge and our field is wide open to receive from the parents can put a big influence on the expectations of what we think is normal in life. And so oftentimes we are going back to that time of uh, infancy, toddler age in the womb. But yeah, we, we discovered that that was a big part of the dynamic and how because of that, she sort of, especially having grown up in the 80s, was the type who uh, swallowed the feminism line of, I don't need no man, I'm going to support myself type of deal. And having a lack of an like, approving masculine figure as a youth, she sort of took on the masculine role herself, became a business owner, and you know did a lot of kicking ass, but also at the expense of having this guilt-driven productivity drive that is, again, so common, especially in America, like uh, I'm not productive enough unless I'm working so hard, it hurts. And that exact mindset of like guilt driven overdoing it and pushing yourself too far. That is actually what causes people's right hip to go out. That's why we see so many hip replacements in the wow. West. It doesn't happen in more laid back countries, you know? Oh. So we dealt with all that. And with like, particularly what had uh, emerged as the lumps in the breast for her was having finally shifted to kind of a more yin role in her life and having a man in her life that was the provider while she was more of the, the feminine energy component rather than trying to be both herself. And then this guilt of like, yeah, what if they leave me because I'm not doing enough? You know, what if I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, what this fear around that, you know, and that guilt of being supported that is very common for women actually, because they've been trained in this transactional mentality of life that, uh, you know, they're whoever buys what I need to repay them with that amount of money. And like everything needs to be fair and we're keeping score. And all of that is so harmful and unnatural because in nature, nothing has a price, dude. <laughs> so it's just about like bringing a hundred percent and being with someone who's going to bring a hundred percent and rather than keeping score. But anyway, we dealt with all that and we found how the pattern had influenced the larger life. And hopefully that's a good example of how a very specific thing we came in to work on we were able to get to the roots, even in an ancestral sense of what brought that on and created the pattern. Right on. Now, earlier you said you, you help people at times integrate their demons. I want to get into this. I know a lot of people run from their demons or try to suppress them or try some other therapeutic ways to eliminate them from themselves. But integrating your demons, I've heard this a few times and I find this very interesting. What is, how would you describe this and how do you help people with this? Love it, man. Love it. So <laughs> there's a couple of possibilities with the idea of demons and keep everybody you know, in mind of like what I'm offering is my perspective. I'm not trying to invalidate whatever maybe you've experienced in the realm that you call demons or whatever, or your interpretation of it, but offering this possibility, right? That first of all, <laughs> what the ancients called demons the, the word that we get, <laughs> the, the Greek word, actually referred to the spirits of the dead, not to some infernal uh, separate consciousness entity like some evil little imp in a fiery underworld <laughs> wanting to poke you with a, tri uh, a trident, you know, <laughs> like that's not that's not actually what demon meant. Now, we have that with how the what you might call pagan cultures were vilified by Christianity later and then a lot of their philosophies were turned into evil ideas. And ironically, you know, as the Reverend Robert Taylor says, 
in his work that he got put in the the gale over in the 1800s that Christianity and paganism are about as different as six and half a dozen. (laughs) So, you know, I think actually a lot of what people experience as demons maybe have to do with uh, spirits of ancestors that are restless and on themselves unhealed and that that is transferred forward in like some genetic memory. I don't even want to say it's physical, like genetic, but that there is like an energetic passing forward because, you know, like uh, the, a girl is in the womb of their mother before they're actually even born. You know, those eggs are in there that when a baby female is conceived in a a womb that she forms the eggs that she's going to have later in life. So like there's like two generations back in, in one womb. You know what I mean? Like, so the vibe of all that can have an influence on uh, a lot to do with the beliefs and expectations somebody carries forward into life that is really hard to pinpoint unless you sort of look for it like that. So, so I think you demons- would you would liken even this what we would understand as spiritual entities known as demons to just our psychological egregores and thoughts that keep us that hold us back, right? Is this what you're 100%. saying? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Now, th- now that being said, maybe there is some existence to like egregoric thought form entities that live in the psychic realm that have <laughs> come on with some independence in that disembodied state. You know, I, uh, I could talk about that too, but so I'm not ruling that out, <laughs> but I don't yeah. think it's a natural thing per se that it, they're just there and like waiting to torment us. And in the sense of our own energy in an egregoric form, I do think that like when we're talking about life force in our personal field that is cut off and compartmentalized from the rest of us, well, that energy is our spirit. Energy is our consciousness. You might notice that when your energy gets better, you all of a sudden might remember insights, philosophical understandings about life, about yourself, about the realm that you're like, how did I forget that? I always knew that, but it was because you were at a lull in energy. And so that wisdom, that consciousness was reduced. It was narrowed. So the more of your personal energy you have access to in automatically and innately, the wider your range of sensitivity to, to knowing things is, but when we have these cut off separate parts of self that, you know, they're hanging out in your energy field, man. So they're like, in a sense, it is like a demonic attachment, yeah. but I think it's more empowering to look at that stuff. Generally speaking, I'm not saying there aren't other circumstances, but generally speaking, people's demonic attachment very likely might actually be their own self-energy cut off and in a stagnant form. Because think about like what happens to water that gets cut off from the rest of the flow of a stream or a pond that's not moving anymore. It gets toxic, right? Yeah. And the same word. It's like we're like water in that way, big time. And an example, another client example, dude had pain in his middle Uh, upper back, like between the shoulder blades. And we found the root of that was being a four-year-old and seeing his mom and dad fighting. And his mom was like, I'm leaving and I'm taking, I'm taking the kid, but she wasn't talking about him. She was talking about his older brother. She was like threatening to leave and take his older brother, but leave him behind. So he was carrying around, in my opinion, how I would describe it was like the ghost of his four-year-old self was riding around on his back, kicking and screaming. And, and why it's right there in the middle 
upper back region is because the back of the solar plexus, that that energy center right in the middle of the chest, the, the backside of that is really where stuck energy related to feeling grief over not being fully supported by mom or dad, depending on if it's left or right, gets held up. So I look at a lot of the more significant like physical ailment causing stuck energy to be almost as if it's an echo of a previous version of yourself that got left behind and separated and, but you're still carrying it around with you like a monkey on the back for this guy. Is it similar to the idea of uh, like spirit attachments, these energies that can attach itself to you through traumatic events, through childhood traumas, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. But what I like about this perspective I'm offering on it is that rather than looking at it like, oh, there's just demons waiting around every corner in the bush to jump into you in a moment of weakness and attach to you, <laughs> which by the way, I'm not ruling that out. I love the fringe. I look in, I listen to Mysterious Universe for 10 years. I've heard all kinds of stories about crazy entity attachments and you know, especially in moments of like inebriation where a spirit of a drunk might jump in and be like, oh, here's somebody that drinks. I'm going to influence them to drink more because I want more of that thing I'm attached to. Uh, I don't think that's all impossible, but yeah. a lot of times it's more like we're dealing with your own personal fragmented energy and you could consider it like, you know, and the other why it's so powerful to find these and integrate them is because these uh, these past selves that can be carried around separate they actually live in your psychic realm in your innerverse they're like constantly animated by the amount of life force that you've invested in keeping them separate and not thinking about what it was that happened or not really acknowledging how what more about how not acknowledging what happened how it affected you you know right well maybe so go ahead Oh yeah. <laughs> so like an, uh, an example for me, this is just about to ask example. for examples. There you go. <laughs> yeah. An example for me was, and this actually, i found this while I was doing a tuning for somebody else. I found one of my own. <laughs> I found one of my own past selves that was left behind. Uh, you could call them. There's a book called, uh, gosh, Tom Zinzer is the author. Yeah. And yeah. I love, I've had him on a few times. Really? Yeah. Maybe you could share his contact info. Oh, yeah, I really definitely. like his book. Oh, that'd be sweet. Awesome. Okay, cool. <laughs> Pokemon swap. You want any of my guests? I'll hook you up. <laughs> right on. <laughs> but like he has this book, Soul Centered Healing, where he talks yeah. about this very thing. And it's where I got a lot of insight into how I understand and describe this, that there are uh, self fragments of like an actual identity animated. It has its own consciousness and experience of reality. Previous versions of you that are hanging out in your psychic realm and your energy field until you kind of integrate them and bring them in. And what I think, too, that Tom puts forward is that maybe those things don't actually ever get fully deleted, so to speak, but that you learn to accept them and work with them. And so in a sense, you know, people have a good relationship with their demons. We don't have to kill them. We just have to, you know, take let them free. <laughs> actually, yeah, letting I, them out of the cage is what allows them to heal. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you think is the best way or some ways that we can integrate those? Well, definitely it's about finding and identifying them via discovering what it was that happened and the way that it affected your beliefs about yourself and your expectations about reality. So like an example for me that I discovered uh, that I was alluding to a second ago, while I was working with somebody else's repressed anger, I found, oh, (laughs) when I was five years old, 
and the mom took me to get my shots for kindergarten. I had this total freak out where I was like punching, kicking, screaming, fighting. Like you will not inject me with those needles tooth and nail battle, but I'm a five-year-old. So I lose the fight and <laughs> you know, and they gave me the kindergarten shots. And I had, I realized that that version of myself was still hanging out, waiting to be noticed. And what I needed to notice about it was that was the point in my life where I made the decision that anger doesn't, doesn't achieve anything. That doesn't matter if you get angry, you will still not get what you want. So I took on a belief about myself that lasted most of my life of, I don't get angry. Angry people suck. And that's actually a super limiting and toxic belief to hold on to, especially for your heart chakra and somewhat for your throat chakra and occasionally in the solar plexus. But the solar plexus version of anger is more like anger management problems, like you're getting peeved more than is appropriate. So what to know about anger in particular and how actually all of the flavors of emotion that we give a negative association work is that they're polar, they're polarities of energy. And each one of these spectrums of possible things, whether it's anxiety or, or uh, sadness or anger, they have a, a meaning or they have a, a purpose for being part of your overall constitution. And so with anger, one thing that is a big limiter for people who believe I don't get angry, angry people suck, is that you're also cutting off to some degree, lesser or greater, your ability to be assertive your ability to be aggressive in a healthy way. And the more you repress and reject anger, actually the more life will keep offering you things like, is this going to make you mad? How about this? <laughs> but if you can use a process like tuning or other types of energy work or self-awareness protocols of which there are many, this is just the one that I think is super helpful. You can get to like a zero balance with some of these emotions so that when a situation comes up where it's healthy to assert yourself to, to maybe even aggressively put a boundary up that instead of it needing to be like bottled anger that then blows up down the line, it's like little bits of uh no, 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 right in the moment. And it's always tame. You know, if you keep it all kind of level, then you never need it to be a big exploding thing. And it helps you navigate your life and know where you, what's actually good for you and where you want to go to be able to feel a healthy, like blue flame of anger, as Michael Tessarion might call it. Mm, right, And on. it limits your ability to assert yourself if you repress anger completely. And in the emasculation of society, we see a lot of repressed anger bottled up and being, you know, shaken to foment things like stupid internet fights and civil war fears and all that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Along the opposite lines of what we would consider as our demons are these negative thought forms that we have. What about when individuals contact what they understand as their spirit guides or higher self and gain what they understand as this cosmic knowledge from intelligences that are greater than their own? What do you think is happening there? Awesome question. Yeah. I think how I tend to understand that is through what I alluded to earlier, that the life force energy that animates your body vessel is not separate from the whole of all spirit everywhere. And that's because this is the ordering principle of the cosmos. In fact, like one thing that I really, 
one thing that I really spend a lot of time on my channel helping people disentangle themselves from in the, the realm of victim consciousness is some of the like new age pop culture, Gnosticism. The world is a simulation created by an evil archon to harvest your louche, all that type of stuff that the bot really derives from uh, the religious traditions that co consider the, you know, particularly the ones that gave us the idea of transmigration of souls, which isn't evil in itself, but that by making spirit or the notion of spirit so prime, uh, so give it so much primacy over matter that a lot of times that philosophy will devolve into like, the body is low, evil, base. Nature is a prison. It's a cage. The world is, you know, an energy harvesting factory for evil, alien, arconic overlords. And while I'm not like ruling out that there aren't energy harvesting ops that go on in this realm, I don't personally believe that it's the purpose of this realm, in my opinion. And so my take on matter, on the body, on physicality is that if the spirit that animates all things is what generates the matter through this like imagination principle, mind of God, you know, speak so it is type of deal, then the matter itself, the physical material is like condensed spirit. And thus, in a sense, where there is form and where there is material, where there is density, there's not a lack of spirit. There's like a lot of spirit. <laughs> That's where I try to bridge the, the gap. And I like to tell people that there isn't a spirit world other side over there and a physical world over here where we're cut off from all of that light and love and uh, coherent harmony, harmonizing energy, but that we're in the spirit world right now. And we've created an illusory overlay through our belief in fiction that makes us think that there's a separation between spirit and matter. When you look at a tree, a tree grows from a seed. But where is the seed once you have a tree? It is right. the tree. Spirit is what matter grows out of. And in, in time, you know, the body may perish and that matter may return its energy to other places. But that seed, that spark is the still exists and it's the all. So that's our divine spark. And so anyway, in terms of like, what, why, how to answer your question. I know I did a lot of roundabout there, but that I think when people are able to tap into what they call the Akashic record or higher self or spirit guides and guardians, that they have found a particular way that works for them to interface with the all knowing nature of that divine spark that their body vessel is emergent out of. And so for me, like I have my own way of doing that, it works best in kind of a yes or no answer type of way, but it's doable. I think energy work practices and sensitivity attunement practices, particularly Qigong, have been a big help for me to get into that ability to communicate with the all-knowing part of self. And it's not like you can, in my opinion, it's not like something you can use maliciously or selfishly, but like I try to always, when I open up the sacred space for a ceremony, call upon the higher force or the supreme being not in the sense of like an individual being, but like the supreme beingness, being as a principle, which is that life force. And then I ask to be an instrument for the ordering principle so that I can, you know, channel or conduit what it is that needs to be done to be of most service to bring order for the other. And so it helps, I think, with any energy worker that is uh, 
got some experience will tell you that if you try to pretend like you're the one doing it, you're going to get your battery drained and your ass kicked eventually. <laughs> you're going to get sick and you're going to have consequences, but really helps to just be more of like a, a, a portal for it to flow through where it's not your juice that is required. It is the all uh, affecting the all. Right on. Well, while we're deep in the realms of the nature of reality, I love getting guests like yourselves thoughts on this. Do you think that what we're here, that our reality is natural, that this is something that is is part of us, that we're supposed to be here as a learning or spiritual experience? Some believe that this isn't natural, that there's some sort of overlay, that we're in some sort of spiritual matrix or archonic overlay, that there are archonic entities that that keep us here perpetually reincarnating us. And the other belief is that this is for us. It's for our own spiritual development. And like you said, the, the, I like the analogy you made with the seed and the tree that after this experience that maybe we become something else. And I'm leaning towards that's what your thoughts on this whole thing is. It, it is our experience. It's something that is natural in a way, right? Yes. Yeah. I am totally down with this reality. <laughs> it's actually super fun and awesome to exist here. If you, you know, get out of your own way, especially with some of these beliefs about it being unnatural or oh. evil or fake. Um, so that's why I've done so much work on undoing the errors of what is labeled Gnosticism. It's not true Gnosticism to believe that. In fact, like, you know, one thing we could potentially talk about more is how the mis misunderstanding of the philosophy of the mystery schools is what even led to this belief of a demiurge or a fallen god below god that is the creator of the material in you know all my opinion but it's very much empowering to jettison some of the stuff that is particularly popular in the conspiracy sphere mm. of like ooh here, <laughs> and I just on like the most simplest level, if you if the belief you're holding is that this realm is fake, created to enslave and trick you, is there a deeper level of victimhood than that? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It's the ultimate victimhood, you know. Yeah, it doesn't get more victimy than that. So uh, I really like to refer to the uh, Simulacra Simulation book by Baudrillard to help illustrate the point of what I think is going on with why that belief has come up where he talks about the media representing a world that is more real than reality. And that gets super misunderstood in his terminology of the hyper reality. But what I think he's talking about with hyper reality is how, if you have a belief system that tells you something different than what your senses perceive, then, and if there's enough of that stacked up, then this belief system overlay becomes the hyper reality and your experience through your senses is actually at odds with your belief overlay. And it causes you, if you put the emphasis on the belief overlay rather than what your senses tell you, it will cause you to inevitably lean towards the belief that reality is not real because it doesn't jive with what you think real means, you know? And a big part of that, and one of the most dangerous priestcraft jive mind control spells that ever got put out there was, in my opinion, that proffering of the world is 
a material fallen reality separate from a spiritual existence. Mm. And I don't see that as true personally. Right. Um, Maybe and, we could get into how, you know, what, what's your insights on to how this misunderstanding really came about? Sure, man. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to it. But uh, <laughs> first of all, there's this idea of know thyself, right? But a, a problem where know thyself has fallen short is that man, I'm going to quote Godfrey Higgins, uh, author of Anacalypsis from the early 1800s, where he says, Man has forgotten or been ignorant that his faculties are limited. He has failed to mark the line of demarcation beyond which his knowledge could not extend. Instead of applying his mind to objects cognizable by his senses, he has attempted subjects above the reach of the human mind and lost and bewildered himself in the mazes of metaphysics. That is, again, a lot to do with like what I was referring to with math, being how astrophysics is pervade to us is through all of this uh, fancy high and you know, mathematics. And so really what that is, is a linguistic overlay uh, that is simulating something that is not necessarily reality. Like they'll astrophysicists and, and whatnot uh, will plug their equations into a computer model. They think those equations represent reality. And then as the computer model simulates a reality via those equations, they look at what it spits out and they say, see, proof that it's a simulation. <laughs> You're using a simulation to prove it's a simulation. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, There's a lot of absurdity there. So it's not that metaphysics is worthless, but what metaphysics ever meant, in my opinion, beyond the physical is probably a reference to astrotheology, to the as above. And in a lot of beautiful ways, the as above has... A, a, a direct conduit or a link for us to tap into the innate all-knowing aspect of our being because it's sort of this black screen <laughs> that we can see that is um you know in a as above so below correlate to everything below it and we can if we can kind of come up with a way to decipher it or we put a linguistic overlay into it there's a potential that we can derive knowledge out of that, or at least see connections and links and synchronicities in a similar way. Like whenever you get really deep into philology and you study the connections between languages, you're able to gain uh, some wisdom out of how synchronicities occur where you're studying one thing and then you, something else comes your way and you realize, Oh, that is kind of like this. And it leads you, Maybe there's no physical, tangible way that you can actually prove what it is that you now have a hunch about, but you chase the lead, you pull the thread, and it will lead you to something that is actually tangible and gives you a, a, a real concrete connection that helps you with whatever it is you're researching. And it's kind of hard to elaborate that, but elaborate on that. But what I'm saying is there, there may be something about language and communication where wisdom can come through it almost from the divine in a way that is not completely uh, intended by the creators of that language. And, you know, an example of how that works would be in the ancient past, the uh, astronomer priests, they had this concept called constellation writing, which is actually where the mythos derives of all the different cultures of the world and is the point of connection that they diverge from that leads to having symbolic similarities 
between everything everywhere. And in particular, the uh, Sumerian priesthood of Babylon had a word for this constellation writing called Lumashi. And the, they're referring to with Lumashi is the astro logos or the scripture in the stars. It was the practice by the ancient priests, astronomers of deriving the history of the world and the future, just like we see with all forms of judicial astrology pass forward today. But what they were also doing is deriving the history of the world from the interplay in the constellation names and signs and symbols, the puns, the homonyms, the synonyms, double entendre, and etc. When they would find wordplay or hidden meaning by reading between the lines, they considered that to hold the secrets of the gods and that only the initiated could comprehend it. And what it meant to be one of these initiated or Illuminati was that you had the secret of letters. In fact, like the savior deities of various cultures are referred to by titles like the logos or the word of God or God of eloquence, like uh, Agmios, who I brought up at the very beginning. And what they symbolized was the secret of letters. And that was not something outside of the priesthood that people really had use of in the ancient world. And because a lot of these priests would know languages or alphabets from more than one culture or more than one civilization, they could kind of start to play between the lines and see how punning and sounds like is like might reveal potential extra layers of meaning. And that's where we actually get the scriptures from. All the ancient scriptures were derived by some astronomer priests looking up at the sky, the constellations, the names of the stars, and pulling out the words that were there in the shape of the, the way the stars connected in the multiple layers of meaning. The Sumerians were notorious for this. They had abbreviations for every word in their written language called logograms, where one abbreviation could mean like 20 different words. So with just one little stellar tableau of multiple uh, constellations and images, they were able to derive chapters and chapters of scriptures. And they considered that to be divine revelation. Um, <laughs> so I put a lot out there, but it doesn't yeah. quite get us to talking about the uh, misconception regarding the Demiurge, but we can go there too. Yeah, man, let's let's get into that a little bit. We've got a few more minutes. It's it's pretty amazing how we're witnessing firsthand the alteration of history and language and what we understand as our true nature has been changed so much. And I do want to get your pers your understanding of if you have hope, if we can ever gain that back as as a as a whole with everything that's happening with the intended alteration of all of this. But yeah, let's get into a little bit more about your understandings of this this Gnostic misunderstanding. Right on. Yeah. So the demiurge is considered to be like the craftsman, right? Actually, demiurge means like a common worker, public servant. In Greek, it means, it literally the word means a public worker. <laughs> so uh, in the mythology of Eastern philosophers, they consider the demiurge to be an aeon employed in the creation of the world, a subordinate workman. So this actually connects us with all the various uh, deities that are particularly like saviors or creator gods, like Vulcan, the blacksmith, a.k.a. Hephaestus, Jesus, who's a carpenter, Ptah in the Egyptian, who's a 
who spins the world or the physical creation on the potter's wheel. You have Lou of the long arm and the uh, Irish mythology who is skilled in many arts. You have Thoth who brings the art of writing. You have Athena who taught shipbuilding or Isis who taught shipbuilding and sailing. And I could go on and on, actually. You pretty much find this teaching of arts and crafts from every major deity ever or, or it, one of their relatives. <laughs> and what all, and like when you really boil down uh, through the ability to syncretize the various deities of the ancient world, you find that it's most likely, in my opinion, that rather than considering, considering these beings to be actual physical beings, like the way that the whole, uh, what's his name, Anunnaki guy, uh, Hit, 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 Hitchens? That yes, that's Zacharias Hitchens in every Ancient Hitchens, Aliens yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, oh, our aliens created us to be slaves. And uh, <laughs> anyway... Poor guy. Be a hard life. I mean, it sells a lot of books. Maybe he does, was into huh? it, but yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, I don't think that they can the ancients in the inner circle of these wisdom traditions ever believed the uh deities to be maybe literal beings and more so as aspects of the one being, emanations from the one, the divine. Uh we oh, man, <laughs> I have I, I've got a lot of notes I could pull up to help illustrate the point, but uh, a simple way to understand it is in the Trinity dogma that is extant in so many different versions of, uh, of religions. You have the three forms, one God, a thrice great creator, destroyer, redeemer, or savior. The sun spring, <laughs> the, the sun in spring, summer, and winter actually is where we see this in the physical nature. And in fact, a little addition I'll, I'll say is that where these esoteric doctrines have value and also syncretize in my opinion is in what they can teach us about what exists in nature that we can observe with our senses and where they go off the rails is where we start believing in stuff that has that and thinking it affects us that we have no basis of experience to know that it exists or not but anyway three forms one god you got brahma shiva vishnu you have adam and his three sons uh cain and abel and seth in fact, a lot of times the uh, the three sons of a particular deity or father of humanity, like Noah with Shem, Ham, and Japhet, they are the three sons are actually like three forms of their father. You have the lawgiver Manu in the Hinduism who had sons Sama, Kama, and Prajapati. You have the three. Sometimes you have three muses um, in the Gnostic literature from the Nagamadi. You have Pistis who is a version of Sophia and the three versions of Sophia are Sophia, Eve, and Zoe. Again, in the Gnostic literature, you have the Adam of light who, who uh, emanates Adam like the man and Eve and the serpent or the beast. And then you have the Trinity of uh, the father, son, Holy ghost, of course, with Jehovah, or you can look at the Trinity of Jehovah, Satan, and Jesus or uh, Jehovah, Mary, and Jesus. And where the demiurge comes into this equation is that this creator, destroyer, redeemer, um, the, the destroyer aspect actually is also the regenerator. And this is why particularly commonly the feminine of whatever religious trinity ends up getting misunderstood and demonized later as well. 
because the feminine or the yin or the negative component is the destroyer component, but it's right. not in a just purely evil sense. The destroyer is there to regenerate. And we see this in nature that when the destroyer version of the sun shows up, which is winter and all the vegetation dies off, that that destruction is necessary to lay the seeds for regeneration in the springtime. But uh, as these doctrines were confused and literalized, particularly in the, the Romish church's emergence in the you know, turn from BC to AD, this destroyer kind of gets spun off and becomes his own like fourth, uh, fourth leg of these aspects. Mm -hmm. And then we see it you know, becoming Satan. And so I think that that's where the, the Demiurge issue comes from. Like even Sophia in the Gnostic literature, she is the one who births the Aldebaoth. So really this evil God is coming from the feminine and <laughs> there's a lot there. So I'll just kind of hold up there. I could just go on and on about this stuff, but I, I really find it valuable. You know what, actually, if you're cool with it, let me yeah. even further enucleate how the three in one works in Let's particular in the Christian dog or uh, mythos or the, the Gnostic Christian mythos. So in the Gnostic creation story from the Nag Hammadi, <laughs> Nag Hammadi, a, a name that means dark serpent mother, <laughs> etymologically, uh, you have this. And these women are getting a bad rap, huh? <laughs> they are, man. There are regenerators, dude. We need yeah. that. Yeah, we need like even in life, in your own as a male, like you need the shit test that the woman will bring to you. <laughs> like that's yeah. you got to be ready for that you know you got to be ready for them to help you break help you break down that which isn't working yeah. that's what negativity you could just look at it as realism that's mm. you know that's why i think that the women have their whole like weekly four-week cycle per month where they go through different phases of sort of energy and uh and feeling is so that they can have at least one of those phases of being what people call negative, but actually they're just bringing some realism in. And then later in a different part of the month, they're more enthusiastic and optimistic. But anyway, we need that. It's good. It's good as part of nature. So anyway, in the Nag Hammadi about Eve, she's said to be the first virgin who was born, who was one without a husband, but yet bore her first offspring. She served as her own midwife and her, she's quoted as saying, I am the part of my mother and I am the mother. It is I who am the wife and the virgin. I am pregnant and I'm the midwife. I'm, it is my husband who bore me and I am his mother. It is he who my, who, it is he who is my father and Lord. Anyway, yada, yada. Um, why could, how could Eve be the mother of her own husband who is also her son? You know, and actually, in that whole idea of the goddess with her son who is her lover is, replete throughout many different mythologies as well. Well, let's just get into Jehovah. And etymologically, this will show how like the language can reveal what the doctrine really meant, right? Jehovah is in the Hebrew yad he vav he. Those four letters in Hebrew transliterate and give us the idea of Jehovah. But contained within yad he vav he are many other ways that you could transliterate those four letters into English characters. One of the ways besides Y-H-V-H or J-H-V-H, is I-E-V-E, -E, Eve, phonetically. But also, you could, you could make it J-O-V-E, Jove, either one. It's right there. It's actually possible to take that in, from Hebrew to English and get both of those words and as well as a few others. 
not to mention other than Eve meaning life in Hebrew, um, another connection would be how Bacchus, who was a prototypical Jesus before the Romish religion, was worshipped in, uh, I can't remember if it was in India or in Egypt, but there's definitely uh, records and inscriptions of Bacchus being worshipped as a serpent called Eve. (laughs) So this is the divine androgyne, the hermaphrodite, the three in one. That's what Jehovah always is and always was. It's, It's the three elements of the generative power of existence. But in the literalization of a, a mythical sky father up there to do that, you ha- if that's the character you're going to consider to be God, then you got to separate him from the mother and from the son. Uh, and all of this is metaphor and allegory for nature. Not like we need to believe there's really like this mystical Eve that has this completely unnatural ability to be the mother of her own uh, father, you know, I don't think that's useful to us, but it is useful to see how it applies to like the the cycle of the seasons. Right, right on, man. Yeah, this is so interesting. Next time you come on, we got to get deeper into linguistics and how it unifies all kinds of spiritual traditions. Let's end on this. Do you have hope, like I was saying earlier, that possibly as a whole, we could do some collective remembering and re-emerge some of our ancient consciousness abilities and remember who we are and what we're doing here and break through all this mind control and programming and the agendas that's trying to to run us off of a a train track right now i think so man i think that you know what we're demonstrating in this conversation is the return of that I, i i think the work that some of my friends and collaborators do on this stuff demonstrates a an expansion of consciousness and improvement of the ability to recognize patterns and innate intelligence coming through that we are all able to connect to if we get healthy inhale. And also, you know, it doesn't even bug me anymore what Babylon does. <laughs> Babylon be Babylon. Babylon <laughs> is Rome. It's all the same thing. Yeah. You know, in a sense, it could be that this ancient idea of Earth being a type of school or a, a breeding ground for new souls to emerge and then grow to higher levels of, uh, you know, energy and existence, higher levels. I don't even mean to like separate that from the reality that we know, who knows, but that this place is where, you know, nature just constantly is generating, generating, generating. So to me, it feels, it feels wise to consider that new souls even get generated. And what happens with a, a new baby? new baby needs parents to tell it what to do for quite a while. (laughs) Different children have different amounts of time that they need to be corrected and taught. So, you know, all things serve good in the end, even evil behavior serves good in the end. If you get really honest with yourself, some of the worst things that ever happened to you where you felt totally victimized and abused led you to something good. Eventually, if you didn't get stuck on it, So I think the same is true even for all the control system and conspiracy and the death, war, mayhem, is that in some way this has actually got good the seeds of good in it because, like I said, there isn't actually a negative in nature in the sense of like a subtraction. (laughs) There's only growth, expansion, and generation. So everything is supporting that principle. Everything has its season, and we are totally uh, capable of being on the upswing in our own individual life that ripples out to everything that we're psychically connected to as individuals. 
and we can rise together with the people that we cohere to. And, you know, Babylon will do what Babylon does, but <laughs> I think that type of system might just be part of how this reality works that some level of when you come into a, you know your new soul you got to have that harsh correction or that breaking down destructive principle teach you some lessons and then you can evolve as a spirit to the point where you take the reins of those forces and you decide what it is that needs to go from your own life you apply the power of destruction to bring about regeneration rather than having it done to you or for you. So I look at it all like, you know, we're in a fractal sense, the, the creator, the spirit that uh, manifests all this stuff and that we are holding the spark and the, the flame of is a loving parent. And even when it sometimes got to bust out the belt, we're going in a good direction eventually, even if maybe you need another go around on the wheel to get to it. But I'm not even like trying to escape from, samsara as they would say like i'd be happy to reincarnate here i think this place is awesome there's an infinite amount of experiences that i would love to have and uh only one life nah i'll take as many as you can give me (laughs) it's great Excellent, man. I love it. I love the outlook. Chance, this was awesome. We're going to definitely have to do this again soon, like I said. Before you head out, let the audience know where they can find your podcast and utilize some of your services, how they can do so. Yeah, buddy. I just want to say thank you for this conversation and your great host asked really good questions. I think this is one of the best in just an hour and 20 minutes interviews I've ever got to do in terms of like given all the flavors of what I like to talk about. Right on. I love it. Thank you. Awesome flow state. Really fun. If people like what I'm talking about, they want to explore more and get into the the devil of the details, then check out innerversepodcast.com. I'm on YouTube. Got a good community there that jumps in during the live streams. I'm on Rockfin as well for premium content. Got a Patreon people can support me through too. I have a vibrant telegram community. If you just search interverse podcast or interverse chat or something like that, or go to my website and check out various links there and you'll find your way to how you can connect with our community of, you know, one thing I like about my audience is they're more researchers than consumers of content. And they're always surprising me with incredible insights and weaving things into what it is that we talk about on the screen. And I'm so grateful to them. You all know who you are, especially if you're listening right now. Thank you. If people want to get into my tuning services, my website will have a link to that as well, but you could also type in the URL interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. On that page, you'll find more resources, more teaching about the subject. If you want to get in more in-depth learning and uh, some group tunings I've done like in video form where you can actually feel it for yourself and, and experience that. And if you want to do a tuning, that page will give you all the info on how to donate and get one set up, get it on the calendar. And I do encourage people to look into that. If you're feeling a bell ring inside, like this makes sense. I want to try this. That's exactly what I felt when I heard about it and explored it. Overall, I'd rather people actually learned how to utilize these techniques and languages of the body and power of sound for themselves and for the people they care about. But I'm also happy to provide the, uh, <laughs> the role of checking you out and making sure you don't have a kick me sign on your back that you didn't know you had. <laughs> and, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, my tuning booking tends to run about five weeks out. So 
if it's something you want to do sooner than later, uh, please go ahead and get in touch and we'll get you booked so that we can do it, you know, and have a, a vibing, powerful summer. And again, thank you so much, man. Might have to have you come hang out on my live stream sometime if you're into it. Uh, anytime, man. Just name a date. I'll make it happen. Beautiful. Cool, man. Appreciate it a lot. Have a huge blast. Yes, man. It was excellent conversation. Look forward to next time. And until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. We'll see y'all then.